Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the 139th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patrons Christopher Hall and Lucas Miller. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Mark Stoloroff. He's a prolific indie producer. He's done a ton of movies, but he specializes specifically in micro-budget filmmaking. He's got his own program called No Budget Film School, and he's distilled a ton of the tips and tricks and uh, a lifetime of experience making micro-budget films from kind of the very beginning before even mumblecore was a word he was making those movies and he's uh parlaying a ton of that experience into his latest movie driver x which premieres november 29th so probably just in time for you to check it out if you are curious about making a no budget movie mark is the man yeah and this is the guy that made a three thousand dollar film that got into sundance so uh, he knows a thing or two about not just making cheap movies, but making movies that are effective in terms of getting into festivals, getting seen, getting known. There's a lot of really good tidbits about how he made Driver X and how I think our listeners can apply that to their own projects. So uh, I can't wait to hop into our conversation with Mark. We are going to forego our catch up this week because we had so many awesome things that we don't want to cut out. So we're going to find out what Oren's been working on next week. <laughs> um, but before we hop into our conversation with Mark, we have to talk about our Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, you can subscribe a little bit of cash. Uh, it helps the show grow. It helps support things like our upcoming live event, December 5th at Sawhorse Productions. They'll be providing some pizza and stuff, but we'll still have to rent a bunch of chairs and other dumb stuff uh we want to keep the show free and also the events free so if you have a little extra scratch if you're doing well if the show has helped you out or if you want to do the virtual equivalent to buying us a copy to help uh, us pay our editors help us build the community and help us throw more live events go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and if people want to find out more about our live event on december 5th what should they do they should go to just shoot it pod.com slash live well without further ado let's talk to mark stolera thanks for coming thanks for having me really happy to be here congrats on finishing another feature thank you what number is this i don't know it's the fifth i've done with henry burial but i i don't it's. It, I don't know how many, and I don't know how. I don't know how you count them at this point. Like, I mean, I've been a, a producer on a lot of them, and I don't. I don't know the number. I mean, starting back in the '90s. So, but uh, you're like a producer filmmaker. The ones I do with Henry are like very. It's like me and Henry, and you bring a few people on here and there, and then it's mostly just me. But you're like in the editing the room. End, you're cutting. You're making. Well, I'm the not cutting, but you know. But I mean, once you know, there. Like for instance, on Driver X, there was no production department really i mean it was me it was there was like we had a first ad for like four or five days and when we were doing a lot of the driving stuff there was i was the whole production department i was media manager i was second ad and doing call sheets and i was like literally like you're hauling the gear the very little bit of gear we had yes was in my apartment yeah no it's it's one of those you know i i like that kind of filmmaking where you know you're doing a lot of different jobs and you know that kind of thing so yeah for that i've done Five, five, I guess. And for, yeah, for our listeners, four or five. Hearing you say we have very little gear and like you know it's a two-man crew for ninety percent of the time, 
it sounds like maybe this is like a new thing you're doing, but you've been making feature films for like 20 years, right? I've been in the business for over 20 years, 25 years or something, but, um, but it's, it's not always the same. So, you know, I, I did, when I came out here in 94, I was, came out to Los Angeles from Texas. I worked at Roger Corman's company and did, you know, worked on these, you know, what are they were million, million half dollar films in the production department, PA. I became a, a location manager the first week on the job. They like bumped me up to the location manager. I'd never, you know, I mean, I'd been, I'd been on a film before, but not, you know, I had no idea. It was a pretty big location kind of a movie for two weeks of it. And, uh, so it's that kind of, that's that trial by fire Corman stuff you do. And then, um, and I worked my way up, you know, become like first AD and I, I production managed a, a short film that won the Academy Award for best short back then. And, oh, and, nice. um, but I, what but short I, was that? Actually? It was called my mother dreams, the Satan's disciples in New York, the worst title <laughs> for a movie ever. But I'm not sure where winner. the punctuation lands on that one. But. Yeah. It's, it was brutal. I mean, you can imagine like you calling people on the phone. Yeah. I'm with the film. My mother dreams of things as I'm on Anyway, but, um, but yeah, it was a great film. It just a uh, long title. Um, and, um, so I was doing that kind of work then. And then in 1997, I came out here to, to be a director. I wanted to direct, I wanted to be, I wanted to direct the next clerks. I saw El Mariachi and, and Slacker and clerks, uh, I saw Clerks at the Houston Film Festival, and I went down and met the guys, and we, we went out for a drink. And I was like, "I want to make that." That's I had thirty thousand dollars. I can make that movie. I remember this vividly. I saw it, and I probably went because I probably read it was low budget, and I was really interested in doing that kind of. I mean, that's the kind of films I made in college myself, or what you would call DIY. I did DIY theater for mm-hmm. five years in Houston. I ran my own theater with a with a buddy that I grew up with, and we you know it was all DIY. And, um, so that, that's always been in my blood, I think. And then I saw that movie, they screened it on 16 millimeter, but they only had one projector. So they ever, after every reel, they would stop the film and you'd sit there for like 10 minutes and be, and talking to your, you know, whoever's next to you. And then they put the other reel on and that's it was like an amazing, so incredible. and it was amazing. Cause, cause every and time the reel is like 20 minutes. Right? Yeah. For yeah. And every time the reel ended, everyone went, Oh, <laughs> and you could just feel the crowd loving that movie. And it was like, and, and it was a mistake. They didn't want it to be that way, but it ended up being kind of a fun way to watch that movie. And I just went, wow, this is, I love this movie. It, it wasn't about the production value. It was, mm-hmm. there was something going on there, the writing or whatever. I mean, it's a mix of like, you know, kind of low budget elements um, that works. And I, and I thought I can do that. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, and I, we had done a play that, that we wanted to turn into a movie that we just never did, but it was a very local very specific. It was called The Outrageous Mr. Houston at this theater I had. And it was a huge hit for us. It was our very first play. And we, like, seat of our pants, wrote this thing while we were pre- rehearsing it and 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 whatever. And so I just thought that's what I wanted to do. And I came out to L.A. I was going to be a, 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 a no-budget film director when that was just starting to be a thing. And then I was at South by Southwest. I was uh, I was back in Texas just, just visiting South by Southwest. And they announced this thing called Next Wave Films. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman named Peter Broderick was was it was his idea. He'd come up with this idea for a finishing funds company to give finishing funds to films like this, mm-hmm. like Clerks. In fact, uh, Kevin Smith and and Robert Rodriguez were on, and 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 Linklater were on the board of advisors for the company. And they announced this company, and IFC was financing it. And I'm like, that's the company I want to work for that guy because right. that's they're making they're giving finishing funds and movies I want to kind of make. And so I literally I found him in the hallway and at the convention center in Austin, I gave him my resume and I was the first, he, I was the first person he hired. That's incredible, so, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was great. You know, that was, that was really an amazing experience. I mean, six years, uh, if you ever wanted to know what, you know, what is it about a, especially a no budget or low budget film that, that, 
people I always ask like, what are you looking for and all this stuff? And it's like, you know, they think it's a genre or something like that. And it's like, you know, you look at, I probably looked at 2000, some part of 2000 films myself. Mm-hmm. We, we, as a company probably looked at 4,000 films in that time period, you know, get like 40 a month. And so the thing that you end up saying that's, that's what's important are you know things that people don't expect. It's not production values. It's mm-hmm. like uniqueness is the number one thing we always tell people. Um, and then it's like, you know, directing talent, acting talent. It's not these other things. But um, but we got involved with the, our first film was uh, Pi. Sure. But then, And we worked on that film for four months. And then the deal, we had signed like a short form deal. This is Darren Aronofsky's yeah, Pi. Darren Aronofsky's Pi. And, um, and then the deal fell through when they got into Sundance. The investors wanted to take it back. And then we ended up, it became wow. like a struggle. And we, we gave it back to them. And then we did uh, Joe Carnahan's first film. Blood Wait. Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Yeah, sure. He's from Sacramento. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. what was his first movie? Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Yeah. Wait, no. Yeah. Yeah, is that, that's the order? Okay, yeah. yeah. $7,000 feature before we gave it yeah, finishing yeah. funds. And that was also kind of like right when like Pulp Fiction was kind of a thing. So it was like, it and felt that like... And it ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it did, it, yeah. Because it, 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 all of a sudden a bunch of stuff came out that was just like, mm-hmm. you know, Tarantino-like. But it was really... It was really good. I, I, I mean, you could see he was telling, he was a great actor in it too. Cause he's, he's yeah, like the yeah. lead in it. Um, and then we did, uh, we did Chris Nolan's first film following, which I worked on for like four years and, and, um, uh, did Amir Barlev's first film, a documentary called fighter that we had, we had a film, we had a documentary called sound and fury that was nominated for Academy. Oh, yeah. we did, That's um, about, is that about deaf people? Co- yeah. Cochlear implants. Yeah, so yeah. I did, watched that. Obviously yeah, it's a great, I mean, so we got involved with a lot of really great films and, and great filmmakers. And then, um, and then that company shuttered in 2002 mm-hmm. and I had one of the, not the last films, but one of the, one of the later films I had gotten involved with was a film called somebody mm-hmm. and somebody was a, before it came to us was a $3,000, feature shot with a two man crew. Like uh, we were talking about earlier, two man crew, uh, a director and DP on Canon XL ones. Mm-hmm. That was the crew. No, no sound person, no lighting, whatever. And the, the DP was also the editor and was the composer. And, um, it was three people basically. Then the actress who was in, in you know, was really about her story was the other kind of filmmaker involved. hundred percent improvised. Um, we looked at it. We thought it was terrific. It was 80 minutes long, and they probably shot 120 hours of footage. And, mm-hmm. and by the time it got to us, it was 80 minutes or 70 minutes. Now we actually add, had them add footage, uh, 10 minutes to it. And then we helped it get into Sundance. Um, it got into dramatic competition in 2001. It had to be the lowest budget film ever to be in dramatic competition. It was the first digital film to be digitally projected at Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sold it to Lot 47 and, and uh, Lot 47 released it theatrically and then they went out of business so it was never oh, no. released on video. And this is four years before Mumblecore, before anybody yeah. said Mumblecore. And it was, you know, classic People, Mumblecore. No movie. one had ever said the word Mumblecore yeah, before. Never. Yeah, and, yeah. and even when they did, they shouldn't have because it's like a silly <laughs> name. But, but it, was, you know, but it was a really terrific movie. And so the director of that movie, Henry Burial, we worked together on that. I, I became a producer on that. And then after Next Wave closed... I was working with another gentleman that I met uh, next wave named Ron Judkins. We were going to start a, uh, a company called uh, Antic Pictures, and we were going to do a slate of micro-budget films, like $200,000 films. And um, we were had a business plan. We were running around looking for money. And then Henry, uh, I'd heard that Henry had this feature that was in the Sundance Screenwriters Lab called True Love. And I went to a reading of it, and I thought it was terrific. It, it was just 
what he does really well, which very authentic writing, great acting, um, the writing that's coming out of the actor. So like he did that in a kind of Mike Lee process. Mm-hmm. It was written, it wasn't improvised, but it was, a, but it was came out of improvisations and then sure, the written sure. script. And Mike, so, can you tell us real quick, what, so what's the Mike Lee process? So, so in somebody, they didn't ever write a word down ever. It was all improvised. If they wrote have something, like a guideline of what the story was, they would have like an idea and they, and they, play with it in the editing room for a long time to get, they cut whole big chunks of stuff out and, 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 and somebody, but everything was improvised. So they would, they would know kind of what they were, you know, what the intent of the scene was. And these are actors that like to do it. A lot of they, they all went to Playhouse West. And so Mike Lee idea is that you, you bring people in a room and you, maybe you don't have a story at all and you start, you know, interviewing, which Henry likes to do, he likes to interview the actors and kind of bring out what, what things have happened in their life that might be interesting for a movie and which is what they did on somebody, and then wait, so he, he doesn't even know what the movie's about. I, when he made True Love, I'm, I mean, I'm, I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure he didn't have an idea of what the movie was. He put together a group of actors that he worked with that he liked that he thought were really talented, and they he would interview them. They would workshop ideas, and then a, a stories would emerge, and then a, he would start to write those those that dialogue down and start to form it into a script. And so he had that script. That script got into the lab. And, um, and then they had like a million or $2 million budget and had producers and, and, um, but they wanted to, to get the million, $2 million or whatever it was. They had to re they were saying, well, we've got to recast the movie. I'm like, well, you can't recast the movie. These people, yeah, this is their they story. Yeah, they the wrote the, yeah, the yeah. movie since essentially in a sense, in a sense, I say, I should say. Um, and so they said, well, we can't, we're never going to get the money. And they left the movie and he was you know upset about that. And I heard, you know, I saw the reading and he came to me and I said, well, Let's make it for fifty thousand dollars. I just made up a. I literally sure. made up a number that I thought we could. The three of us could put in fifty. We could come up with fifty and put it in, and um, and I'd seen the reading, so I had some sense of it. Um, and I thought, well, this is doable. It wasn't even set in Los Angeles, and we had to rewrite it to to be made on a smaller budget and to be set in Los Angeles. But it was a very ambitious film. It had a huge cast and a lot of locations, and 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 he didn't want to shoot it two man crew like somebody. He 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 ran away from that style of filmmaking as soon as he was done. He wanted to you know make something more controlled and we had a big crew but my producing partner ron he's won two academy awards he's been nominated five times for sound he's a production sound mixer who does all the spielberg movies so we had a lot of great relationships and we had a lot of people working for us with a tiny you know day rate and and um and we you know i thought i thought we did i thought the movie true love was a great movie it just it didn't get into sundance it was really close um i know talking to cooper and then it played some festivals and then henry came up with a new idea for a movie um, that when, while we were going to festivals with true love, he pitched to me and I'm like, Oh yeah, I really like that. And we, and we just, we were going to make that for a bigger budget, but we decided let's make that one for, let's just make it. Let's don't it, this. It's going to take a, a million years to get a million dollars. So we kind of rewrote it and made it, you know, ourselves putting, again, putting our own money in and, um, and that's just become kind of our thing. And so, um, pig was that, was that film at, Oh yeah. That's when I met you. That's I when think I, yeah. you had just, uh, finished that or it was just coming we, out at been, festivals or something. Yeah, it, it, it came out earlier that year in 2011 and um, it premiered in Nashville and then I saw you at the St. Louis Film Festival. So we, we played it there but um, yeah, I played like almost 40 film festivals. It won 10 awards. These are, it's a it's kind of indie sci-fi so it had won a lot of the sci-fi awards and um, and it got picked up uh, by Kino Lorber. Um, and, and what was the concept for that? It's about a guy who wakes up in the middle of the desert, like sand dunes desert, completely alone. He's got a hood on his head and his hands are tied behind his back. He wakes up and he's like, 
He has no idea how he got there. He doesn't know who he is. He has amnesia. He has no idea who he is. And it's a mystery, basically, trying to figure out. The only uh, clue to who he is is a name of, written on a piece of paper in his pocket that says Manny Elder. And he's like, well, is this me or is this somebody that put me here or whatever? And so it's this kind of solve this mystery. And, it, and it's, a, it's a brain teaser kind of a thing. And I can't, I can't tell you. <laughs> the More secret yeah um but um but it was you know it was a fun movie and and um uh and then you know he had been henry had been attached to a film called the house that jack built but not the one that's about to come out um that was uh written by joe vasquez in the mid 90s before he died this is the um hang when the homeboys director and the producers had attached henry right after somebody was at sundance and um but they, they were trying to raise millions of dollars to make that film and they could never get the money and they saw Pig and then they said, well, maybe we can come back and make make it for something much, much, much lower. And so that was a film that I wasn't involved with originally. I was just helping him out. I was a production accountant just saying, hey, if you need me to do that so you can save some money because they were trying to get the budget down and um, and they were shooting in New York and it was shot and it was kind of a more traditional way of shooting because we always shoot over long periods of time. That, that one was shot 18 days, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it kind of shoot with a, with a normal size crew, but it was still very low budget. And then when they got into post, they had $0. So I was brought in um, originally just as a post-production supervisor and someone to kind of raise money. I raised money on Kickstarter and then I became a producer and basically kind of, cause those, the producers were more step back kind of producers. They weren't like line producer type mm-hmm. producers. And so, uh, so then I, you know, became a producer on the house that Jack built, which, uh, you know, premiered the uh, LA Film Festival, 2013, and then um, played a number of festivals, won a number of awards. That that that's on uh, Netflix now. It got released um, through Vega Baby, and then um, and then right after that, we were working on a horror film that he'd been writing for a long time. That was very clever, and um, it was one of those things where we had these investors. They were going to give us the money. We were like scouting locations we we had a you know we had budgets we had a line producer the whole thing and we were like waiting like i couldn't there was a trip i was supposed to go and i couldn't go because we were shooting this movie and then the financing fell through and then it was back up again and we were like okay okay it's gonna happen and and then the financing fell through again and this was like most of 2014 this was happening to us and it wasn't a ton of money but it was money that you know it was real money you had to you sure. know, raise and so he has two young sons and he's married his wife works during the day and he and he works he does you know whatever he does um but he couldn't do a lot of diff, you know the normal stuff he does to make a living because we were working on the film and so he started um he started driving for uber at night and um you know and he was doing the, the night shift because he was taking care of his kids during the day right. so i'm up normally really late at night and he would call me in the late at night and he would tell me like oh my god you're not gonna believe what this person did or these people did or what they said and I think it was pretty quickly on that we decided that, that there was a movie in that. And it was clear to me that it was a movie that we could do ourselves, finance ourselves, um, because, you know, just the just without even a script, you knew the elements were going to be such that you could, you know, you could pull this off. And um, and then, of course, when you wrote the script, you know, then you start to go, oh, okay, well, how are we going to do that? And how are we going to do this? But um, but the but the kind of. Uh, uh, critical mass of elements, mm-hmm. the car and his and the house where you, you're shooting all the family stuff, the wife and the kids stuff. Um, we we knew we would shoot that at Henry's house, and we knew we would shoot the car stuff at Henry's car, and so um, right. that made up a, a big chunk of it. So you know, what were some of the more challenging things like financially? So 
the biggest probably, I mean, some locations. Or logistically even. Right? Well, yeah. it's, it's both. I think, um, so we had, he had other locations and some, and when I do a budget, it's like, I mean, you know, I was doing this big, we were talking earlier about these bigger budget things that, that I've worked on, you know, the going rate. I, I usually didn't know what the going rate for locations were. I just knew they were more than I could ever afford. But, but, you know, I've worked on some things in the last year and a half where I know what it costs now to rent, like legitimately rent a house or an office or something. And it's like, right, I don't like know, 10 grand, 10 grand, maybe, you know, maybe 2,500 a day. If you're lucky on something, you know, I mean, you can use Rapple or something and Gigster or something and find, but you know, but that's what you're, you're paying thousands of dollars a day for anything. Um, and so we have like these two office scenes, two different offices in the movie that um, it was like, okay, well, this is a really important scene. So I'm going to put down $500 cause that's a lot of money for me. And I'm going to try to find this, office yeah, for $500. This is the nut, right? It's yeah. like the 500 bucks. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. with this one, not as important, I'll write down $200. And yeah. then this one, we just got to get it for free. Cause it's not, it's not so critical, you know? And so it'd be that kind of a thing. Um, we had a lot of different locations like that. Um, but the big thing was we had 50 speaking parts and we're, you know, acting is the most important thing to us. So we're, we're going to be mostly using SAG actors. So that, you know, that's a set rate. You can't get around that. So that's a What's decent that, like a hundred bucks a day. It was a hundred dollars when we started shooting, and then we shot over over a long period of time, so it bumped up to one hundred twenty five. But the thing that you you know you know is that that's that's the that's not what it cost to you right. know, that's not including fringes, fringes and you know that's eight hour days. So if you work people twelve hours, so you know the I think the I like to say the minimum is about two hundred dollars when you're when you're if someone works one hour on your movie there that's about two hundred dollars uh, is the kind of ballpark way to think about how much. I, I want to ask a quick question because you say uh, you you've been shooting over a long period of time. Describe that to us a little bit. Is it is it that you're shooting, you know, like piecemeal, like you're picking things up here and there, and it's a nights and weekends thing, or is it when you say a long period of time, what do you mean? It's different each time for different reasons. You, you we end up doing this. I mean, I mean, I would prefer just to knock it all out in one in one period. For Driver X, the reason we shot over multiple periods is our lead actor Patrick Fabian, who's on Better Call Saul, was working on the show, and. He, he was not in town all the time and he didn't, he couldn't tell us when he would be in town. They don't give you a lot of information. Sure. And so we shot for five days, the house stuff, none of the driving stuff, like the, the, the house, the wife and kids. Um, he, he basically plays Henry's part, mm-hmm. except he has two daughters instead of two sons. So he's a guy who's out of work. He's not a filmmaker. He, he had a record store and he's out of work and he's looking for a job in the record industry. He's never going to get it. He's like a 50 year old guy. He's never going to get it. And so his wife comes to him one day and says, well, the mortgage is due. You need to just go out and get some kind of work. So he starts driving for a fictional company called driver X. So we did the, we did the five days at the house. Very, you know, I had a lot of volunteers that came from my, my class, my no budget film school class that I teach. And I had, I put out a, a note saying I'm looking for interns. You want to learn from the, you know, the head of no budget film school, which I've done, uh, a couple of times and had some great people working for free. And then I had, I don't know, maybe four or five paid crew members. Um, and um, so we shot that stuff and then he had to go off and do a show and then we were waiting for him to come back. And in the kind of like at the last minute, like I'm going to be back for two weeks. And so then we shot the bulk of the car stuff in that two week period and a few other things there were a few other uh, location stuff that wasn't in the car. And that we he got. was like, he's like a, member of the team right he's oh. not like a diva actor that oh you my have god to... i mean the best member of the team i mean how much a... did you spend on his trailer though <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you that's an easy number so 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 yeah my i teach this idea that you do not want you can't make a movie this way with a prima donna and one of the first things i always do or henry and i always do 
we we you know we audition people we we like somebody now patrick was a friend of ours we didn't have to do that with him but 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 like with pig we had uh, rudolph martin was the lead actor in that he, and and um we read for him we didn't know him and we we said you know between the henry and i were like that's the best actor let's we want to cast him so then we take him out to dinner and we go let me tell you how we're planning to make this movie mm-hmm. you know you're you know here's how we want to pay you here's we're not going to have any you know we may shoot over a two-year period how and, do you want to pay them maybe what i would say to an actor is i'm going to pay you a flat fee um and i want to be able to work you as much as i can if i need to uh, over as long as i need to and i'm not going to pay you more than that flat fee so we'll run you through the books, through the SAG books, but there may be days where we go out and just pop off a shot with you because we own the camera, always own the camera with mm-hmm. these movies. Um, and, and what may, camera are you using? Different cameras, but I mean, Driver X was the A7S. We can talk about that. Um, but, uh, but you know, we, we say, look, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna t- we want to take you out and shoot with you and we don't want to make a big deal about it and we don't want it to cost like $500 if we decide to do that. So, so, we, so it's partly that, but it's basically, it's trying to get a sense of, what, why are they doing this film, you know? And often what you find is with these actors is with Rudolph and with Patrick, they're working actors. They work all the time. They get paid. They, they don't need the money. They know it's, they know it's ultra low budget. They're not going to make a lot of money. Um, they're, they let their managers know, their reps know, look, let me, it's fine. Um, and they're, and they're doing it because the role is good and because they don't usually get that kind of a part. So right. with Rudolph Martin, they'd rather be a good movie than get paid an extra 500 or, or they, skip the shot. Well, right? they, so Rudolph was always either a hitman or a vampire, mm-hmm. and he didn't get—he didn't have to do either one of those. And Patrick's always in a suit, playing a you know some slick guy in a suit. I mean, always, and he's great at that. But this is not that role at all. And mm-hmm. so they're looking to you know try to see, you know show that they can do other things. And so for the, for both those actors, not about the money, and um and you you have to have somebody that really wants to be there because it's just so hard. And, and if you have a prima donna, and I've worked with prima donnas on some other things, and and doing the kind of stuff we were doing, driving all night where he's driving because there's no process trailer. He's driving the car. And I mean, the things that we had to ask of him, first of all, I never felt like I had to ask him anything because he was just, he was there and he was willing to do it. And and all the way till, you know, five minutes ago or whatever, when I talked to him on the phone or whatever. I mean, the guy is like 100%, 120% committed to the project and that's what you want. But, it's not a foreign sales play. It's not mm-hmm. a genre film. I mean, it's helpful to have name actors and we have several people that are familiar faces. Um, but again, and we were very conscious of trying to put people like that in the movie. But knowing, we're, you know, we want to work with people. We want great actors and they're right for the parts and and uh, and they know what we're, they know how we're making the movie because it's, mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's not the normal way to make a movie. Um, did you have a casting director on this one or no? Yeah, so we... Or rather, what I'm really asking is, is it just that you had a connection to these people that they said yes or was there... How, how did you get them? I think so, that's what I'm asking. again, it's because it, we had 50 speaking parts. They all came from different places. So Patrick was somebody that immediately, you know, we knew before, you know, while we were writing the script, we, we needed to find the right actor for this. And and Henry's like, well, let's get Patrick. And he, he has a small part in, in Pig and... And, um, and, and Patrick was like, in fact, it's funny about Patrick is as long as he's been acting for 25 years. Um, and I've seen a lot of the shows and stuff he's been in. I'm like, I don't know. Patrick's not really right for the part. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing I, I said to Henry. And he's like, no, he's a real actor. He can do it. You know, cause every, again, I'd, he, this guy does not wear a suit, uh, mm-hmm. Leonard in our movie. That's just not the character. And so, you know, but again, you know, I quickly realized that he was great. But, um, but we we brought him in so early that pa- that Henry and Patrick worked on the script together, which is what Henry likes to do. So. Right. But what about the smaller roles? So the smaller yeah. roles, it became a thing where you know, 
I thought we were going to write roles around actors that we knew we could get, mm-hmm. like all the people we've worked with that we love and whatever. But Henry wrote the parts around real rides. This was mm-hmm. all based on his experience. And so we had to look at the at the at the characters and go, well, maybe is there a part Melissa could play? Melissa mm-hmm. Fumero? Like, oh, maybe she could do this part. It's not written for her, but it, it's maybe something she could do. And then you just call Melissa up and you say, Hey Melissa, you know, we got this movie, it's one day, can you come sure, and sure. do it? I'm going to pump the brakes. Yeah. Did you have a relationship with Melissa? Oh yeah, she worked on her. She was the second lead in our in our last so, in the movie so, before. So that's how you call. Yeah. Her. So yeah, yeah. on some people. So Melissa, yeah. Desmond, um, Randall Battenkoff, Heather Ankeny, um, Oscar Nunez were people we knew that we just called up. And you're calling them directly. You're not calling. Yeah. Your agent oh or God. No. Oh. <laughs> I never call people's agent ever. <laughs> sure. I mean, believe me. Don't sure. make me talk to those people. I can't. This is it. the stuff our listeners are going to be like. I I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. How do I get Melissa from Aaron in my movie? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. So, so like. So yeah. So that's how we did it. And, and cast she, her in another movie. And, and she then, was in our movie before she got Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, so yeah. and she was terrific in that right, in House right, of Jack right. built. So um, available on Netflix. Um, so <laughs> so but then again, fifty speaking parts. So we so the wife is the second lead. That's a big part. And we didn't have someone to play that. And we had two casting directors who were casting associates normally. Mm-hmm. Um, what are their names? Vanessa Knight and, and David Seidel. And, and we... Uh, and what do they normally cast? So, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I had given some... I think a, a casting director that we'd worked with before who, who was a friend of ours who had worked who had cast a pig for free. Mm-hmm. She moved and she's like, well, try some of these people. And, I, and she gave us this name. I think it's Sherry Henderson who has this company. Yeah. And I think they do mostly like kid shows and stuff. They cast that stuff. Yeah. And maybe some branded content. from. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. I don't know exactly <laughs> what Sherry. Sherry. Sherry's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but Sherry's like, well, listen, I've got these two associates and they would love yeah. to cast a feature. And we're like, okay, you know, and we didn't pay them a lot of money. They got paid considering the amount of work they did. It was very little money. Yeah, Sherry then, has the credit on it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. I mean, you know. So, so she gave us these two folks, and they were ter- amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they worked their butts off, and 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 so I would say, the way we were able to get good people to come in and read for us was a combination of their hustle, um, not necessarily their their muscle because mm-hmm. they weren't you know like big time casting directors, but they but their hustle, and then you know Henry's fifth film, and he's done he's worked with other actors. You can walk, you can look at it, you know, you can go work look at his work. The roles look and the writing is good on the page, I think, um, to people. And so we had people coming in that like worked. I mean, they were like, wow, you had your own HBO show. What are you doing in here? I mean, for sure. ultra low budget film, because we weren't paying anybody extra. I mean, there was never a thing like, well, okay, for you, we'll pay you more. Right. Most of those we got through our auditioning. But then there was a, a friend of ours named Val Lorne, who, who was lead in one of our other films, who teaches at Playhouse West. And he had a class of like advanced actors class or something. And Henry cast... Um, several actors out of that class and workshopped the scenes with him, which he loves doing. Oh, cool. And so there were, there were, there's two or three or four different rides that are cast out of mm-hmm. their people like that. And, um, and some really great stuff in the movie. And so, so it, it really came from all over. Right. Um, so it sounds to me like it's a combination of direct connections, like through basically like having made a handful of movies before a handful a fistful, um, a single hand. <laughs> and, um, you the connections that your principals have right and then also kind of empowering some hungrier casting directors to kind of round out the the slots that you didn't have an obvious choice for basically. yeah and, and again that was a lot of slots there was a lot yeah, of sure uh, yeah, 50 speaking yeah. and so there was no attempt to go to like name names like uh 
John Hamm type of. We, name. I think, for what we did is like maybe we said for Tanya, like we might have said to Patrick, hey, and we had Patrick attached, so that also helped. So, to, so when they're saying we're looking for these actors, uh, Patrick Fabian is the lead actor in this movie. So that gave us a little bit of credibility. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your approach to production in general, because I think that like oftentimes on this show and kind of all over the place, anytime you hear an interview, you know, people say like, oh boy, we didn't have any money or like it was a really all hands on deck situation or whatever. And it's sometimes people skate by and don't explain explicitly what that means, right? So you were saying in the car scenes, for instance, right, of which there there were plenty, it was it was you and the director and then your performers, right? Or so, no? So tell me about what, that stuff, going, right? If we were to go back... I'm trying to remember all the things, all the thoughts I didn't finish. But one of the thoughts we I didn't finish that we'd asked, we talked about was like the what was some of the difficulties of doing the movie on a small budget. Mm-hmm. The driving stuff was a big challenge, and mm-hmm. I had never done car stuff like sure. this. I'd, we'd done some car stuff, but it was during the day, mm-hmm. very little dialogue, very small scenes. You're shooting in the, you know, you're shooting There's in the a back lot of seat, driving, yeah, yeah, you know, and or you're or you just or you've got someone in the front seat. This is these are eight page scenes of dialogue, you know, sure. where it has to sound. You know, perfect. Obviously, the, and it's know. kind of the worst because it's a conversation with the person in the driver's seat, which is the worst. Who's not facing them? Who's not facing them to the back seat? Yeah. The worst yeah. kind of blocking. But you got mirrors. Yeah, yeah, well, but still, but imperative. You know it, what I mean? Like, it, it's it, like, and, and, and it's a challenge for a director because sure, you're, sure. you know, you want to do all these great things, and you, you yeah. know, you know the, the first thing the producer tells you is, well, you're not getting a process trailer, so skip all that sure. fancy shots right. and stuff. Suction um, cups. Yeah, yeah, and so the first mandate from Henry about the driving stuff as well. This, this, you know, we don't want this to look like taxi cab confessions. Mm-hmm. It needs to look like a movie. It needs to be sure. cinematic, even though we're making this on a micro budget. It right. needs like to look no like a GoPros. movie. Yeah. No GoPros, no, no lights that come out of the, you know, from the, from the top mm-hmm. of the thing or come from underneath that don't, you know, that don't unmotivated there. lighting, unmotivated lighting. Yeah. no, no wide angle, you know, GoPro looking things in the corner of the windshield. So, um, so, you know, shallow depth of field, pull focus, that kind sure. of stuff. If you Did can, you use any GoPros at all ever or no? No. Yeah. No. Mm, no. I'm trying to think. There's a shot that we have that's like a, like in a montage. Maybe that was a GoPro. Even like. I don't even think that was a GoPro. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like on wheels. And or believe anything. it or not, no uh, drone shots. Oh. Yeah. We made a conscious decision not to have a drone. And we had a drone. We had a friend, I had a friend who could do it. You're, you're offending Orin here. No, no, no. You know, I have a drone. No, no, I understand. <laughs> it's a running joke. Okay. It is hard to do those at night anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, we met a guy. Um, we we had talked to our the DP from House of Jack Built. Couldn't do it. He lived in New York. And he had a friend he went to AFI with named Daniel Lynn, who uh, Henry had worked with on a uh, from that recommendation, had worked with on a music video. And Dan said, hey, I, you know, he hadn't really, I don't know if he'd done a feature at that point. So he was hungry. I don't, mm-hmm. he, if he had done one, it was one or something, but he right. really wanted to do a feature. And, uh, like a lot of guys out here in LA, there's a lot of like high, high paying commercial stuff. Sure. Um, and it, and some of that stuff doesn't even tell you much when you look at their reel. You're like, well, this isn't narrative filmmaking. I need to know you can light naturally. And then I really need to know you can do that without any money and still make it look good, which is right. like a really hard task to ask somebody. But he had done a short film of driving some two, two nights of like driving stuff. And we went over to his house and we looked at the footage and he showed me like pictures of how he mounted the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that looks amazing. Like, you know, and, and so we knew he could do the driving stuff and he'd done, he's done a lot of driving stuff. So when we hired him, um, he kind of, you know, we kind of, he, he had kind of created this way of doing it. So in, for us, the first thing was 
because we knew we were going to be driving is that uh, if you shoot with a small enough rig and it doesn't, and you're, and you're mounting the camera to the sides, mm-hmm. if it doesn't stick out beyond the mirrors, you don't need a police escort. That's what he told me. You can just get a, um, if you want to be legal, you can get a, a, a what's called a grid permit. I'm not sure that that is true. It, maybe it's not. <laughs> it worked for me. I'll tell you this. I, well, this is what I can tell you about that. That's yeah. this is one of those things where I never actually. Yeah. I, I think no. You. Know, I think it is true. I think. I, I think when I talked to the film, I would LA say, Network, regardless, double check if you're thinking of doing yeah, that. Well, well, I'll, 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 yeah, sure. wait, yeah, yeah. Wait, I'll tell you. So, so <laughs> that was the that was the line. Uh huh. Anyway. I think it's true because I'm I'm just trying to think of the conversations I might have had. So I think it's true too. I don't know it's true. Right. I guess is what I'm so, saying. So, but here's what I, here's what I know. So that's that was the theory. I'll tell you what I know. So, uh, so we didn't need a hostess tray. Is the idea, mm-hmm. and, and and he had shot that with the A7S, which was a relatively new camera, but it, you know, but, but people were using it. So this is a tiny mirrorless camera mm-hmm. that great and low light sees in the dark. So that's like good. Kind of. Full frame, still, Mirac- miraculous, still, but miraculous, better than the human eye, actually, and like kind of beats out a lot of it's like an, it's an amazing uh, like, camera, like big, yeah. big, fancy, expensive well, cameras worth shooting fifty times that, you like know? a whole short or film or something on Alexa, and then they'll do night driving shots on the A7S. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, so a friend of mine, uh, Ilya Friedman, owns this place called Hot Rod Camera, and he's a good buddy. And so I bought the camera from him. I bought the his his specific camera cage yeah nice i bought the, so you uh, bought it used smart no 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 was, oh oh was, you got it from him no it was new I, no i mean i bought you, I, it was new stuff i mean i think yeah. the the i bought a pl adapter that he builds for his cameras that uh-huh. um maybe that was used but i don't remember i got a really good deal on it so i don't i don't remember that one but but i bought a lot of the gear from him we bought a we we used a odyssey recorder mm-hmm. um and the, the key the secret to that camera rig was basically you shoot with Zeiss standard speeds, not not um, not super oh, speeds, huh. because they're really they're small and they're light and um, and they're not expensive to rent. I found a, a friend, a guy I know has a big set of them, never rents them because no one cares about those anymore. And those are those work really well for us. I think the the advice of like getting the awesome but like less trendy exactly. gear is always an awesome yeah, idea yeah. Right. And, yeah. and again and it worked perfectly for us yeah. again small, small, the small, same. Like, yeah, yeah. The you want to get a panavision lens but it's like bigger than your yeah, car yeah exactly so that that you know with a map box and stuff not a very big rig and and so he didn't need a hostess tray and so we so our shots are basically they're either in the car mm-hmm. different camera placements in the car handheld um, or they're mounted to the, you know, to the to the sides or side doors or the or different places on the hood. And he had all the rig, he had all the mounting stuff already. Um, and then his his kind of genius, um, besides that, was he had he a friend of his, I think they also went to AFI, had built these lights that um, were basically boxes that had LED strips in them that were uh, that could be tungsten uh, or daylight and you and you had these dmx dimmers that you could control the light the you could bring them up and down and you could also control the color temperature Mm -hmm. with these remote dimmers so that stuff was kind of expensive gear i mean for me what i wouldn't be normally doing but we were able to achieve this like a really amazing look and and a whole methodology that worked really Uh, well so what we did is we he would mount these lights or two lights he would mount them to the to the to the hood of the car and they would they would come in at different you know wherever he wanted them to come in and they would look like street lights, but he was controlling them completely. So he'd bring them up and down to mimic street lights, but we, but we didn't, we, we had total control over that. So if we wanted to bring it up for a certain line of dialogue or whatever, we could do that. He could place it exactly where he wanted it. 
Um, so that was kind of the secret. And we had this gag also in the movie where the uh, in the co- the company driver X sends you an e- these lit up these X's that you put in three parts of your car, which actually Uber is doing now. Three years later, um, Uber has copied us. But but they, but these light these X's light up different colors depending on where you are in the trip. So if, mm-hmm. if you're out, if you don't have anybody in your car, it's green. And if someone contacts you, it it blinks blue. And then when you pick them, when you're on your way to get them, it's blue solid. And then when you pick them up, it's red. And then it goes back to green. And well. We're like, when he wrote that, Henry wrote that, I was like, we're not doing that. Like, I can't afford to do that. And then Dan's like, no, I, I think I can do it. And he had a, he had a guy kind of build the lights. And then we used similar light stri- LED strips to, to do that with these DMX dimmers. So we had a lot of this kind of high-tech gear. So we we basically, the driving stuff was these lights mounted to the to the hood. Sometimes the camera mounted to the to the car. We had, the, you know, running a, a line into the car with the... Um, with the Odyssey, so we could control remote mm-hmm. control the the uh, the camera, and we're shooting 4K with the Odyssey because that we had the first generation right. we couldn't right. shoot 4K, and we wanted to shoot 4K, so we could we were finishing in two in, in HD, but we wanted to be able to sure, punch you in can and, repo stuff. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we took advantage of that. Um, and sound, sound. We had sound we had a sound guy who was in the trunk of the Prius in the back of the Prius. When the you say trunk. in the trunk, you mean literally? He was he was little. That's riding. where he rode in the back. Well, it's in that a Prius, back so area. it's like a hatchback. It's, oh, like a hatchback. Yeah, yeah. it's not, but he was small. Unfortunately, he was small because it's not a very big area. And it, I don't think it's, I don't think he enjoyed being back there, but he, he did it. Um, so the sound is basically, he's mounting mics up in the headliner hidden away. Um, uh, sometimes they're lobs and sometimes they're a little bit bigger. It depends. I mean, he, you know, we had five people in the car. He might have to string um, mics all over the place, but he was very diligent, really mm-hmm. great. Michael Cooper, he was really terrific sound guy took that very seriously with great sound. So, so basically we, we had the actors in the car, sometimes a camera operator, cause we had a really small, my DP is huge and I had a really small camera operator, a guy that had just graduated from college. That I, <laughs> it's a longer story, but anyway, found this guy um, with the school of the arts in, in UNC who was great. And um, little guy, which was good. And cause this Prius is not <laughs> the, the size of your crew. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the physical, like the so they're less hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they eat less. yeah. No, he was great. Donald Monroe. He was terrific, but, and he's DP in his own right. Worked with the a seven S in this college film that I'd seen. The rest of us are in this minivan. Mm-hmm. So we are sending, it's like a, imagine like an FBI surveillance van. Sure. So there's four of us in the van. I'm driving the van uh, Henry's sitting next to me in the front seat with a with a remote with a, a, a small monitor, and we're sending the video to the van remo- mm-hmm. uh, through a, a Teradek uh, wirelessly. And he's got a monitor, so he's monitoring the performances that way. Teradecs aren't cheap either, man. This yeah, but we like... rented these a lot. A lot of the stuff we rented from the first ACs that we were hiring, uh-huh, and they great. gave us a deal. These are all buddies of uh, we. Right. The, the the places where I spend a little bit more money than I normally would. Um, I mean, not if you know what real day rates are for, for the people at this level, but I paid more than I normally would for first AC, the grip and the, uh, and the gaffer mm-hmm. because they were Dan's buddies. They usually make a ton of money per day and right. he just couldn't get them for less, but it was still way below they, their normal rate. Right. And if they're rolling up with gear, it's a way to like pay them a little bit more. Right. Right. I mean, I did pay, you know, I did you, rent these, these things, um, like a Teradek and the Preston week. Cause yet we also did remote follow focus on okay. every, every yeah, shot yeah. was remote. Uh, yeah, yeah. which I'd never done before. But um, but again, it's their gear and I'm not, you know, sure. and, and the second monitor usually was theirs or something and, right. and, and I'd pay them a little bit for that. So Henry and I in the front seat, back seat is the DP with this remote uh, wireless dimmers 
and a second monitor back there and the first AC is back there pulling focus. So mm-hmm. we're we're driving and the, and the sound is sent to us wirelessly and we're plugging it into the auxiliary port of the of the uh, van mm-hmm. and so we're listening to it over the speakers of the van and then we have walkies we're talking back to the you right, know, to so them. You just on, have an open walkie. And yeah, like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and you have to have an actor like Patrick who not only can act and is really good, but he's totally he's like comfortable. The director in the car. Exactly. He's the one pushing start and stop on the on the Odyssey. He's doing the slate. Right. He's talking on the you know thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a lot to ask of an actor. And I totally, totally, one thousand percent get it. Some actors don't want to drive and act at the same time. Yeah, it's tricky because like some people I think are are really in tune with it, and some people are like. Just it's not it's not their bag. Yeah. But you know what what Patrick says about the driving and acting is that it gives you something to do. Like if you're fake driving, that's yeah. like you're thinking about how you're yeah. fake driving. This you're like it's actually easier to. He felt it was easier to actually drive. Uh, that's um, and he has yeah. that thing to do. It's a real thing. It's a real task mm-hmm. to do. And so, um, but the other great thing about an actor like Patrick and, and Desmond, who if you you know is on uh, you're the worst, has been on for like four or five seasons or however many seasons of that show. These guys, they're TV actors. They're pros. You mm-hmm. give them a, a technical a note, yeah, yeah, and it goes in their technical note bank, and they never forget it, and they do it, and then yet they're still giving you a fresh performance every time. They know where the cameras are. They know where you know right. how you're going to be editing it. Right, and but they're always like lifting that coffee mug yeah. at the same time right. and yeah. the right hitting hand. their marks yeah. and knowing where the light is and where the yeah. lens is. Yeah. So the driving stuff was, you know, we shot like that two week, this like two week period. We still had to come back and do pickups and a little bit of driving stuff. Um, but that was most of the driving stuff and that, and we had, so the crew was basically what I described. Mm-hmm. Plus we had a, 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 key grip and a gaffer, um, who would stay, we'd put them in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. We'd kind of mount everything up, mount the lights and the, and the camera and everything. And then we, we, we just, the van and the Prius would go out and drive around. Um, and then we'd come back to that parking lot in that whatever part of town we were in and we would re, you know, reset. And then we base camp somewhere like my apartment or Henry's house and there were, and this is the trick. We had this. We had a couple of people at the base camp who were interns. The worst job in the world. You just hang out at the apartment, wait for new actors that were coming at like you know mm-hmm. ten in the night or whatever uh, for later scenes, and sign them in and get them to do their paperwork. And then one of the other uh, helpers was making lunch for us sure. at eleven thirty at night. Right. Um, and, it was all um, night shoots for the driving stuff. It was all we did one probably two two different scenes that were dri- that were day driving stuff, but almost all the driving stuff is night stuff. So I think we probably had total like 22 days of shooting um, stretched out over these periods. We, we So we shot these office scenes and a couple of different like weekends that we did, you know, later. And we'd been, we'd like edit the film and we knew we owed this stuff and then we would kind of rewrite some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's one of the advantages. You're kind of editing it and, and as you go and you're like, let's rewrite that opening scene because I think it's, It'll it'd be better if it's, the, you know, the movie's starting to look like turning into this, you know. So we do that a lot. And um, I saw your editor and edited like Donnie Darko and Tomb Raider. Yeah, he's an interesting, uh, Eric, we've worked with three times. And and in all three cases, Henry does the first cut. He does what what, what he likes to call a sophisticated um, assembly. It's a mm-hmm. very, it's a very, it's a pretty refined assembly, but most every scene is in there. Every once in a while, there's like a scene that just doesn't make that assembly. It's like just never, it, there's no no chance right but, but he does all of the he like selects the, the takes yeah he's selecting the takes and then like doing that first pass it's which a, is a lot of yeah, work it's a lot of work and and yeah. and so we don't have the money usually to pay right. eric to do the whole thing so we'll he'll do that and then eric is he's often comes in as the second editor and when we brought him in for pig he was we he he came in you know we showed we showed all these editors the rough cut and we're like you know what you know uh what uh 
what, do you, what are your notes? What, how would you, can you make this better than we were doing pig? And so um, he's a great editor. And um, so we used him in that same capacity on the house of Jack built. And then he came in and did mm-hmm. um, driver X. No, we knew we were going to be using him for driver X. Uh, and um, so he came in and, you know, he'll, he'll choose different takes and he'll, mm-hmm. you know, has his own play, uh, you know, take on a, on a scene or whatever. And then it was just a really tough movie to get down in the editing room. I mean, it's a lot of like, it's it's a kind of serialistic movie. I don't know if that's the right word. You know, there's it's serialized. There's a lot of like, you know, you're moving things around, you're cutting things down. I mean, that extra time which we took, I think, made a huge difference. Yeah. In fact, right before we locked, uh, we were um, we were kind of waiting for us for to get into our first film festival. And I was working. I had like 45 effect shots and I had zero money. <laughs> um, and I've actually done a lot of effects stuff since then. Um, but I found two people to help me with effects. I found this guy that I had taken my class who did all the overlays. Mm-hmm. And I threw him a little bit of money, but, but I mean, like token amount of money. Um, and then he was going to do the, the this is basically most of the effects shots, not all of them. Most of them were the phone, the phone screen replacement. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, screen yeah. replacement, and um, which we didn't know what we were doing, so we didn't have the proper thing on the screen and that kind of stuff. Um, but so he did the overlays, and then Patrick was out uh, at a diner one day, and someone came up to him and said, hey, you're from Better Call Saul, I love you. And he's like, oh, great, who are you? What do you do? And he goes, well, I do effects, and I do visual effects. He's like, you're like really? Oh, oh. oh how much card. do you love yeah. me? So he, yeah, exactly. So he gave him, gave him his card, I called him up, and basically, he said, "I'll do all those if if my wife loves him. If he'll if we can go to dinner with him." I said, <laughs> "Okay." And this was a lot of work. This was mm-hmm. this yeah. was some pretty some of this stuff was not easy to um, uh, not easy to to composite. And then I ended up throwing him some money too, just because he just did so much work. Yeah. It wasn't again, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was like, let me give you some a few hundred dollars on me. Um, and Wait, so um, he wanted a double date with Patrick, or so Patrick took him to him and his wife to dinner. It was like a new wife, I think, too. So he was <laughs> trying to impress her, I think. Anyway, but, but he, Patrick's super nice, nicest guy in the world. Took him to dinner. Um, and I've used this guy on paying gigs now since as well. He did a big, a lot of work on this uh, web series uh, that I did. Um, he's great. I mean, he has a day job and he has to, you know, he has to sure. find the time. And this, so this took months to do these right, effect shots because right. everybody's that's doing the their other things. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. And so we were, you know, we were waiting to get into a festival and waiting for this, these shots to be done. And then finally we were, you know, we kind of had our first festival and then right before we locked, uh, Henry said, you know, I want to go back through and just see if there's any like 10 seconds here and there I can take out. The feel just feels like there's too much air or whatever. He cut four minutes out that last rent, which was which is a like, lot. It's a lot, you know, and so and it really helps the movie just kind of move, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it, it some of it was like he didn't tell me, and I didn't know until we were like in the sound mix, right? And, and like, I mean, oh, like, well, like, actually, that effect shot that I spent so much time on is irrelevant. It doesn't even make sense anymore because because he cut something out that it right. r- related to or whatever. But but it was a really you know, and there were a couple things that you know you're like. Dang, that was a good line. You cut, you cut that line. <laughs> you know, and um, he just was brutal. And Henry's like a kill your kids, kill yeah. your babies kind of an editor. He doesn't, he doesn't not hold anything sacred. I'm the one that's usually hanging on to stuff. You're like, no, that was so hard. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It no, was two in the morning when we shot that because yeah. of that reason, which is not the best reason. And right. and but I mean, I try to say, look, this is this is what our movie is, and we need to keep this and that kind of stuff. And I'm hopefully the I can come in with that kind of bigger, wider perspective mm-hmm. or whatever because that's you know my job, but. Um, but yeah, so, um, and I, yeah, I would say something else, which 
because I have done post-production supervising so much over the you know 20 something years or whatever, even though I'm not, a, I don't really call myself a post-production supervisor, but I try to find workflows that aren't going to be really expensive. And we, mm-hmm. the workflow for this was, was would have worked out really well, which was we basically, you know, edited our camera original in um, Final Cut Pro X, if you can believe it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And to, no one yeah. liked that idea oh. except for me because it was cheap. <laughs> um, and, um, but it worked and it worked out pretty well. And, um, and so the kind of advantage of doing that is that, you know, all these push-ins, all that stuff, if you can get the effect shots soon enough, you know, you're cutting those in. And we just basically turned over a, a single quick time to my uh, post house. Mm-hmm. And they did a notch conform where they basically, they bring it into Resolve and uh, it cuts it up sure. into shots for yeah. you. And so they're not doing a lot of online. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty smart process too. Yeah, it yeah. works out really well. And I mean, I've done, yeah. did like three shows right around that same time and with different workflows and that I... This is the way to, yeah. to do it. As long as you don't have like a ton of graphics or anything, that's super smart. You know what I love just going back a tiny bit uh, about the post, post thing? Because I think that that oftentimes on a micro budget or on any feature can be a surprisingly significant <clears throat> amount of cash, a large portion of your, portion of your budget. Yeah. And so oftentimes the micro budget solution is like have someone on the team do it themselves, basically that typically the director. So I like the combination, the one-two punch of like, do the hard work, do the heavy lifting, do yeah. the grunt work that a grunt fancy work. editor doesn't want to exactly. do. And then you still get the benefit of like a second pair of eyes and someone who is who hasn't been up, you know, till six in the morning for 22 days in a row. And taking care of kids. Right, and, exactly. Yeah, exactly. no, the, 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 we put money into, I mean, when I do a budget, like the, the initial budget of this film I just kind of made up a couple of numbers. This is how much we're going to spend in post and how much we're going to spend in production. And, and um, Can you give us a ballpark for how much DriverX costs? Yeah, it's... You, I mean, I don't like to say it, just, and I'm not sure why I don't like to say it, because it's like I feel like some people are going to hear that number and they're going to think, well, you spent a ton, and some people are going to hear that number and go, well, this movie, it's not a real movie. And so I, I never know which what the... Well, so, is it so ultra-low budget? I'll tell you this. Sag? Yeah, and comfortably ultra low budget, but basically I'll, I'll tell you this. We, I went in with this idea before I probably got a script. I went in with the idea that I was going to spend a hundred thousand dollars. I was going to spend 50,000 to shoot it and 50,000 to post it roughly. Mm -hmm. And I know on the post side, I know there's a certain amount of money I I'm want to spend. So like, I don't chintz out on the sound. Mm -hmm. Like I know what I can get a full production sound package with all the stuff. I know what I can pay for that. And I put that number in my budget right away. Um, and I, and I can make rough estimates on, on some of the other effects. I didn't really know what that was going to cost me. And I ended up spending, like I told you, I threw a little bit of money these people's way, but I, 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 I didn't have any proper effects budget. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I knew we, we used the same composer. So I knew I was going to pay her. I knew roughly what I was going to pay, uh, Eric. So, you know, we're paying real people and, and we, I could have done it cheaper. I know mm-hmm. we could have, the music was really expensive on this movie, relatively speaking, and I could have done it cheaper, but it, it's, I mean, we're not trying to make it for the lowest amount of money. Um, and Henry doesn't even want to work this way. He doesn't want to work. He hasn't want to work this way since 2001. So if, for me, it's about like, how can I afford it? And if it's a good value, I will throw money at it. So mm-hmm. that's always the way I do it. So we spent a little bit more than that, that hundred we went over, I think it's, like 130. Gotcha. Um, Did you have a makeup and wardrobe department? Yeah, so when we started shooting, we were rushing to shoot because we figured there were going to be a thousand Uber movies mm-hmm. and we wanted to be the first or we just didn't want to be buried in this. So we, we rushed in to start shooting. I hadn't raised any money. I had planned to raise, my goal was I was going to raise 120,000 in equity and like 30,000 in 
Kickstarter mm-hmm. and have $150,000 and make it for less than $150,000 and use the rest of the money to, for marketing and stuff like that. That was my goal. And so, um, but we didn't, I hadn't raised anything when we started shooting. I had a bunch of 0% credit card offers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these people are crazy. Why are they sending this stuff to me? So <laughs> I start, I shot most of the movie without raising a dollar just on the 0% credit cards. I mean, we all, all, almost all of it. I mean, we still had a few pickup stuff after um, I raised some money, but basically that's how little it costs. So mm-hmm. you, you ask the makeup. I had the makeup person for the five days at the house and I, and I barely paid her. She was great too, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then I, I think she did maybe one or two more days for me when I needed her. But for the most part, we didn't have a makeup person. I had a, a wardrobe person who'd worked with me on pig. She was the costume designer and she got paid a very small flat fee. And then we found an intern who was on set mainly again, just for that five days. Um, but they helped with the kind of book and making sure their continuity. And then, and basically Patrick was the one that would look on his, you know, this book to make sure he was wearing the right thing. Once we got away from that, once we started dri- doing the driving stuff. So we didn't, so yeah, there wasn't a makeup and, and wardrobe for most of the movie. And then, um, the book is, uh, like what wardrobe this character wears on each day. Right. Right. And, and, you know, we're pulling from closets mostly. I mean, there's a few things that we had to, she makes stuff. She likes to make stuff and she'll find stuff. That's really great. I mean, it's that, it's that nice thing about like, normally I wouldn't have a costume de- designer on something like this, but she's, she adds that creative element and she's mm-hmm. not expensive and we, she's, she's a great friend and, and, um, and she, add, so there's, this, it's that subtle stuff of like, he's wearing stuff that really makes his character that normally I would say, I just pull from his closet or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's nice to have that person. Um, if you can, if you can get it. So, and I think um, I saw a clip where like a girl is throwing up, right? There's a couple of those. Movie. Is that? Uh, I mean, so why else do you, you need, get an Uber though? You need right. doubles for wardrobe and all that stuff for those type of situations. I don't think we. She throws up out of, out of there was there were two times where people throw up. One, uh, we didn't have a double, but we we've managed to figure out a way for her to make it look like she's throwing up on her outfit, but she doesn't. Um, and then the other one's throwing up outside of the car, so that we didn't have any doubles for that. Um, just trying to think. We so a lot of chicken. We soup. did not spend much money on wardrobe. I can tell you. I mean, there was very. I don't think we really bought anything for this one. It's like, is this really important? Does this have to be done right? Then you put the money there. And I mean, as an example of this, um, so we're shooting at the house, and the original crew. And there's no truck. There's no gear. You know, uh, Dan had some stuff in his garage, and then he had a buddy who who has a bigger garage that he rents stuff. And he, we'd gotten some stuff from him. And Dan would just show up in his in his station wagon with this gear, with the stuff, like he's got. yeah, yeah. with 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 some you know with some Apple boxes and some C stands and a couple of lights and whatever. And it was very little. We didn't we didn't I don't on that part of the shoot that 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 five day shoot. I don't think we rented anything. Um, it was like lighting gear. We never had a real truck. There was one day where we 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 were lighting a bigger location. I rented a van and I went and picked up some stuff from from some different places and a dolly like we had a dolly for that day and stuff a Dory dolly. Um, uh, so, so an example of kind of how I operate, we were shooting this five days. It's Dan, the DP, a Mm -hmm. first AC and one guy, uh, his buddy, you know, who's the gaffer or whatever. And, um, and that's working out. We shot a couple days and he comes, comes up to me and he said, listen, so we're making our day and whatever, but if you can get me one more guy for the next three days, it's going to make a big difference. We're going to be able to give him more shots and whatever. And I talked to Henry and I'm like, done. 
I mean, I knew what that amount of money was going to be. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's worth it to me. And that's how I like to operate. I don't like to, because it's my money. Right. Um, I don't need to worry. I mean, I'm now doing these other shows for other people. And you realize you, you can't operate like that. Like, it's sure. like, you know, you, you can't spend more than the money they give you or you're kind of screwed or whatever. And I usually, and fortunately, I've come under like, I know I've got a Discover card that I haven't opened the envelope on yeah, Exactly. So, I mean, I just, I like to put, again, I like, if it's a good value, that's where I like to put yeah. it. So, um, and if I can do it myself, I do it, which is hurt, which hurts sometimes. That's not the right thing to do sometimes. But, and then sometimes you just, you know, that's just, you just end up having to do it because you couldn't find somebody or whatever. So, I mean, I save a lot of money doing it myself, but I also get hurt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by overdoing it. But, um, uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What are the ways in which, give me, can you give an example of like where you wish you hadn't done it yourself? So I wanted to hire a first AD for the driving stuff, even mm-hmm. though I, it wasn't clear where he was even going to be uh, or she. And I had a guy that I barely paid um, do the house stuff, even though I was scheduling it and I was doing the call sheets and I used this program called Lightspeed. I don't know if you ever heard of it. So no. it's like, an, you know, one of these online production management software where you, you know, you plug everything in and then spit out these like kind of ugly looking call sheets, but you mm-hmm. can spit them out and you can just click the people you're sending it to. I wouldn't have been able to do this movie without Lightspeed. I, I wanted to have a first AD and I was looking for somebody who could work for like a hundred bucks a day and I could not find anybody. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll go up to 200, but I'm, there's no way I'm paying more than 200 for something that I don't even, not even hundred percent sure I mm-hmm. need just make my life a little easier. And I don't need to make my life easier. Right. Henry was like, you need to get a first AD cause you know, and there were some times where because there wasn't somebody cracking the whip and I had like 10 other things I was doing cause I'm, I'm the entire, I'm doing the walkies, I'm doing craft service, doing all the other stuff that we lost a little bit of time. Like, especially when it was lunch, like we Mm -hmm. had to go to lunch and kind of remount and new actors coming in. That's lunch. And then you realize like, Oh, I've got to go do 10 other things, drive and pick up lunch. But so there were some times where I think we didn't get as much done because there wasn't somebody kind of cracking the whip. Um, but, but that adds up. I mean, that would have been mm-hmm. a lot of money. And, and once we got the groove of it, uh, this kind of getting in the, you know, we knew the beats of the day on the driving stuff. It was really fun and, and, um, and it worked out really well. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, um, let me ask you a question about this first AD business, because Matt and I have had many discussions about this idea of like where you can get inexpensive crew. Did you ever think to go to like Craigslist or something like that? <clears throat> yeah. I, yeah. I go, go to Craigslist um, often. Um, I think on that one, I was looking at everywhere. I was mostly looking for, you know, talking to people that I knew that there were like DGA people I knew that had like, Oh yeah, I got this guy or girl who's a mm-hmm. PA who, you know, set right, PA, they're right, about right. to, they're getting their days. They, they know that, you know, I, I, I didn't need they're somebody good. who they was like, a little practice. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and, we're not, you know, we're talking about a tiny crew and it's not a lot of elements and stuff. And so, um, but you still want someone like on Craigslist, there's still a 50% chance they won't show up. Right. Well, the rule I have is you interview at least three people for each and every job. Mm -hmm. So if you have the time and you can do that, then you can usually feel that out. If they're serious, they're going to show up. Um, and, and, you know, maybe run down some, some of their recommendations as well. We've, I've gotten, I've found somebody that I was going to hire somebody and actually knew someone's someone on their recommendation. And they told me they were horrible. This is another movie. I was like, Oh my God, thank God I asked. But, but if you, if you interview people, you can usually feel that out. But I always, I, I'm almost always finding, you know, if it's the grip and electric and AC, the camera kind of usually get that those people from your DP. I mean, right, they're right, going right. to, I mean, if they don't, you know, they'll tell you like, I've, I've got two or three deep here or not or whatever. And then you may need to go and find some right, other right. people. But, and I'm, and now that I've been doing some other, when we started that show, I hadn't done 
production in a while and I didn't have a real list. I mean, I was going out to friends of mine that, that do it all the time and Hey, who do you know? I, and sound is always like impossible to find because sure. I'm never paying anything close to the sound rate. Um, so, and they're I, bringing their own gear and yeah. Yeah. And, and sound again, is always rough. Ron Judkins, you know, it's good to have a friend like that who can hook you up with somebody and he's always hooks me up with a really good sound person. So, you know, but now I've been doing other shows and I've been, you know, and I have a little bit of a list now. I've done, you know, two shows kind of close to each other with big crews and and made some, you know, connect connections and, and saw how people worked. And, and they're making usually more money than I would normally pay, but um, maybe. But, um, but yeah, I know if they want to step up, you know, if they want to move up from something or whatever. So I, I have a little bit better list now than I did when I started shooting Driver X. Um, but, I mean, I the thing is you make... You make it feel like pig and you've got some person who's an intern and they're amazing and they just like ran your whole art department and they were working for free. And then you, and then two years later when you're ready to make a movie or four years later, sure. they're like in the union and they're, yeah, yeah. they're like they're art director up. now. And yeah. you're like, you can't, you know, you can never go back to them. You can go yeah. back to them and find, see if they have ideas for you, but you can't get yeah. them. You know, so L- let me ask actually something uh, that I think about all the time with indie stuff. And I feel like when I was younger and doing like, I, sometimes I maybe didn't know better. How do you deal with like liability and insurance and that sort of thing? Yeah, so that, that's a number that I write down that in that hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, there are certain numbers that are that are set, mm-hmm. and for me, I always get the regular production package. It's thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars. I always put that's a number I put in there. I'm not going to go make a movie with all this stuff and not have that. I never pay like production like do, to do like contracts and stuff. I I hired a lawyer to do my. Uh, operating agreement and LLC and that stuff. And I paid, and I found a great guy who I paid not a lot of money to. Um, and that was something I didn't want to do. And I've done it before. Kind of had not, my, like Ron had done it on an earlier movie, legal zoom and stuff, but I don't like, you know, there's just sure. things like lawyers like but me. Like, that's not showing up on the screen. What happens if like a intern rolls their ankle? Yeah, no, I mean, that, you know those I mean? things happen. I mean, and, and we actually had some gear stolen, and yeah. but it was kind of our negligence, so it wasn't like the insurance company was going to pay for it anyway. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I try to run a safe set. I, I sure. you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything illegal there. I mean, I do things like, I don't, I hardly ever use filming permits. Mm-hmm. I had this, this grid permit, which was $710, sure. and then I had not another permit on the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gotten busted enough over the years, kind of, and I teach this in my class, like how to kind of do that without getting, you know, what the, kind of, how to kind of do that without getting busted. You know? I'm always or, curious. Or when you want to do a permit, sometimes you just, you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never, I've been told to like scram sometimes, but like have you ever gotten busted, like have you ever had your gear impounded or anything no. like that? No, I mean, the, what, the, the, if someone comes up to you and you don't have a shooting permit, you're incredibly honest and nice. This happened to us on one of the, we were with this incredible, crazy night of shooting. It was one of these nights where we did a mixture of driving and location stuff. And it was just, I mean, I was one of my proudest moments because um, I was first ADing that and it was just brutal, but we kind of like had to hit our marks all through the night, like in all these different locations and stuff. And then we were waiting. We were actually waiting for the sun to come up because we had this last shot that was a sun up shot in Santa Monica. And we're on the, we're on the, uh, the Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica with this little group. And, and we set up the tripod, we're waiting in the lights, and then these cops drive up. And we're like, fuck, cops, you know. And, um, the, and it's our last shot of the day, last little scene. And they go, and it was kind of a good cop, bad cop. And the guy goes, so what are you doing? Like, oh, we're, we're making a little movie. Um, it's our last shot. You know, uh, we're just waiting for the sun to come up so we can get the shot. He goes, do you have a permit? And I go, you know, I don't. And I, I, mean, I said it like I knew I was supposed yeah. to. Have. I'm like, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I was doing some driving stuff. I have a grid permit. But we just thought it'd be nice to get this shot. And I, I don't. And I, 
you know, I'm sorry. And, um, and one guy was being a dick and then the other guy's like, all right, take your, take your camera off the tripod, you know, which is, which I normally would do if I was worried about it. I wasn't even worried. I seemed like such a safe thing. It was like six in the morning and there was like a Sunday morning or something. And normally I would be hiding and stuff, but it was like, I didn't think there was anybody around. And so he was cool. He's like, you know, just like make it lower, lower key, which was already pretty easy for us to do. And, and so we just, we, he let us do it and we shot it. So, um, but yeah, I, I've never had my stuff. I've been busted in bigger ways with a bigger, with a big crew and Mm -hmm. stuff. And no one's going to take your stuff. If you're an asshole, they'll, they could arrest you and they could do that stuff. But if you're just you know, nice. I mean, I've not always been honest, but, um, but I've always been incredibly polite. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, one time I gave a permit for another location, like here's our, yeah, we have a permit. Here. Sure, sure. And they came back the next day and like, no, no, we checked that. Out. <laughs> um, but, um, but, uh, anyway, but so there's just certain things that I, again, so you're talking about insurance. So there's certain things that I write down that budget actors that are, you know, I'm, I break down the script and how many shooting days I have. I know many actors I have and, and I have to, I plug in the number for, for actors, that's a set amount of money. Insurance is a set amount of money. A crew rate is roughly a set amount of money. And then it's up to me to decide how many crew members do I need for this movie or for this, you know. And so I kind of go through and say, well, we don't need a script supervisor. We don't need all these, like, you know, I usually work with a very thin crew. And and then for this one, the, the rate bounced up a little bit because I because I was working with people that were had a lot of experience and I couldn't get them for cheaper. But um, uh, and, then, and then again, some of it's very aspirational. You're like, I have this list of locations and I this one's worth paying this much for this one's worth, you know, and I just, and hopefully I'll find it. If I have a little bit of money to throw at it, then I, that gives me a better chance. I can go out on Facebook or, you know, ask my friends and say, Hey, I'm looking for something. I've got a little bit of money that always helps, you know? So, um, and then, you know, what can I do myself? And, um, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you get boned and, you know, I got boned a couple of times on the show where you just throw away money for something. And, you know, um, that always happens, uh, even when you have experience, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, and again, in post I have, I have, there's just things I like to spend money on in post. So, um, uh, well, we should probably start wrapping up, but I still have a few, I feel like important questions. Number one is where's the movie premiering? So driver X, uh, IFC films and, uh, their, their label Sunday at selects is releasing the film in theaters and on demand beginning November 30th. Um, awesome. we are opening in, uh, New York on November 30th at the IFC center. And then we'll do a big, big, you know, kind of first time we you know, LA premiere cast and crew kind of a thing opening night in Los Angeles, um, on the 30th. And we're opening at the Monica film, Limley Monica film center. Oh, we have a lot of special nights planned. I have a no budget film school night. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff with Peter Broderick will be guest moderating. We have a better call. I call it the better call Saul night. We have a couple of cast members along with Patrick, um, for talk back and we'll have prizes and trivia. Um, we have, a. Um, I'm, I went to the university of Texas. As I mentioned, we, um, we have a UT night that we're doing, um, with a after party at, at uh, Cabo Cantina afterwards. We have, uh, we're, I'm trying to put together a ride share night where like if you drive, <laughs> you get in for, for half price and we'll have prizes and you know, um, I'm not, I, I, I'm, I have so little time to put all this stuff together, but, but that one's coming together. Um, so we're trying to do like fun stuff. Um, it's opening in, other cities, it's a it's a ten city minimum, and it'll probably be more than ten cities. But I don't have all the lists yet. It's in Albuquerque and Santa Fe the next weekend, the December seventh. Patrick will be there. That's kind of his home away from home at Albuquerque. Yeah. I just saw that we were going to be in Savannah. I don't know much about that one. Um, I'm, I've I've heard of other cities, and I'm trying to get some other places that I have a foothold, but I haven't gotten dates yet, so I don't, I don't want to say anything. So you're not doing a festival, traditional festival? Premiere. We did a we went to festivals for a year. Yeah, oh, oh, we where premiered did you... we premiered last year 
and I played like 15 festivals. So, um, um, and that was, I like playing festivals. I think it's really valuable to kind of see, you know, who the film is appealing to and why and get, get, I always hand out clipboards and get email addresses at those things. And so I have like, you know, people on my list that I can help, you know, they can help kind of spread the word and that kind of stuff. So and did you sell out of a festival? Sorry, did you get your distribution deal out of festival? No, no, no. In fact, that, that, um, from the very beginning, we thought we would show the film to AMC because of, because they do better call Saul and see what they think. And if they are excited about it, you know, what would they, what would they, mm-hmm. what would they say? Would they want to throw it over to IFC? Would they want right. to, cause it's all owned by the same. Yeah. It's all, you know, they're, company, and I yeah. worked for IFC a long time ago. So I kind of know that it's not, you know, it's still very separate companies uh, and stuff, but, 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 you know, we showed, eventually they did look at it at AMC and the guy really liked it, the president. And, um, he showed it to folks at IFC and they really liked it. And they said, yeah, we want to do it and we'll give you the, you know, day and date theatrical. And, and I, you know, I went, I looked at some other, you know, I, I got some other offers, but I, the IFC thing worked out the best for us. And so, yeah, we're really excited. I mean, I, you know, you look at, it's kind of a daunting, you look at the list of films. IFC does a lot of films, but you look at their list of films and they're all like, they're like really high quality movies and they've made for millions of dollars and they have, you know, um, even if they're smaller, like a, a film like blaze, I mean, I don't know what they made blaze for, but it's not a, that's not a hundred thousand dollar movie. That's a, that's I'm sure over a million dollar movie. Um, and, um, so it's, you know, I think that kind of instantly gets you into some company that is nice. Um, it's a nice stamp of approval. And, um, and do you think you'll recoup your investment? Are you, uh, you, you don't know that why yet, would you right? ask me that? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, I we make these movies with the idea that we we likely won't. But I, this one, I went out and I did raise a little bit of money from. I, I didn't mention this. We you know when we started shooting, we didn't have any money. I I, I put that money in myself. Then I raised forty thousand on Kickstarter and another ten from somebody who wanted to be in the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So essentially fifty thousand on kicks from donations. I don't have to give back. And then I got a little bit of extra money from uh, my mother and my sister and a couple of friends. And that money I do want to give back to those people. So, sure. um, so, but at the same time, when it's my money, that's not the first, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd love to get my money back, but I make, we make these movies cause we want to make movies and we don't want to sit around. And so I, I really don't know. I mean, but is I, there no idea when you're making like $130,000, you know, a, a <clears throat> film under 250 grand that, you'd like to think that, that it's that realistic. It's realistic. I mean, because there are, you know, there's, there's a, uh, SVOD kind of output deal in, in there. And, and, and they're um, still foreign, even yeah, if you're not foreign, excited um, about it. It's just, I, I really don't know. I mean, I don't know how much they're, they're spending. I mean, I know that they, you know, they spend a lot of money on the trailer, which I think is terrific. And, you know, that's what they do. Distributors spend a lot of money on stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's gonna, there's going to be some costs. And if you know how deals are structured, which I can't really talk about, but, you know, if you know generally how a distribution deal is structured, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You know, they have to recoup and they, there's a fee and all this like stuff. And, and, um, but, uh, but there is definitely mathematically, certainly there's a way to make money to make our money back, I think on this. And, um, so yeah, we're, we're hopeful. Um, but you know, I don't do this, you know, I don't do this to get rich. Well, well, I guess that's kind of a good segue to my second question, which is, you know, you hear the story and you've heard it on this podcast many times of like, the person that made the $60,000 film and nothing happened with that. And then they made the $100,000 film and then they got like the TV pilot or the studio deal or whatever, like the multi-million dollar deal. And obviously you've worked on multi-million dollar shows. 
that aren't your own. But you've also been doing the no budget films for like 20 years. Is that kind of the duality of your career for the for the rest of of time? Or don't, yeah, don't ask me about the long term of my career because <laughs> that's that's frightening. I, you know, I mean, for a producer, you make a successful hundred thousand dollar film, big deal. I mean, no one's going to hire you. Can't pay somebody to make a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious that Henry and I did not get paid a salary to make Driver X, right? So if I have a special skill, and I like to think I'm pretty good at this particular kind of movie, $100,000 movies. I mean, I made a few of them, and I, they, I, I'm very proud of them. They look, they look, quote, great. I don't really care. That's not the most important thing to me. But, but I feel like I can do that pretty well, and I, and I have a lot of different skills that I don't think I'm good at any of them enough to just do that one thing, but I can kind of do a lot of things. And, but I, I'll never make money doing that because that no, there's no money to pay someone to do that. And if, if you're going to hire me to make a $5 million film while I might have a fee. I don't know how to make a $5 million film. I mean, I know a little bit. I mean, I've learned obviously something, but, um, but, but that's about, not my specialty necessarily. I mean, um, but you've had films at South by at Sundance at LA film festival. You have a movie with IFC and Sundance. Does your taste and your creative producing ever, like have a value? I, I hope, I mean, I, you know, it's funny cause I don't, I don't go out, and look for projects. I mean, Henry is a steady stream. I the teaching thing has always been able to keep me in the world which I love of micro budget filmmaking. I love I love it for a lot of reasons we haven't even talked about. And I've been able to, to because of the teaching, I've been able to kind of stay in that world and make a little bit of money off the teaching and stuff. Um, but you know, uh, I you know I'm getting older and you know whatever. I need to probably more responsible for myself but the other part of it is you you know the filmmaker so usually it's the filmmaker that benefits you make a hundred thousand dollar film as a writer director and it's successful then right. then they hand you the, the director a bigger gig right and the problem i think with henry it's just been a henry's incredibly talented guy i mean he's a great writer he's a he's a great director with actors he especially. made a feature for three thousand dollars that went to sunday yeah and it was and it's good i mean no one's seen it you know if you if you if you're a kickstarter backer you'll you, and you gave fifty dollars you got the dvd of it um that's the only way anybody can see the movie now um and so uh the, the, why he doesn't direct tv all day long i can i have theories i mean one of them is you know he's 52 years old 52 you know, I mean, he 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 could have had it right after Sundance because he was in, still in his late twenties, and and then this like weird series of things happened. You know, where this film, the company goes out of business that does his film, right. and, and then these producers walk away from this other film, and you know what I you know it's hard to, it's hard to explain how a career goes, but he he just keeps making good movies. And House of Jack built, I thought was a, was such a great movie as far as the directing went. And, you know, why that didn't turn into a job, a bigger job or, you know, and he, and he works. I mean, it's not like he doesn't do anything, but why that didn't, you know, I, I have to think it's because he's older and they, you know, this industry loves to, to find the next big thing that's 23 years old. That's right out right. of, you know, that gets in a sentence or whatever. And so it, it's just a weird, you know, thing for him, you know, the way it works. So, um, yeah been thinking about that a lot lately (laughs) (laughs) and look you know you guys if you if you're making a living doing branded content or something like that like you made that choice you know early on to get in there and then now you're getting like maybe a high i mean i don't know if that's what you're doing but i've done a little branded content myself i was shocked like what they were going to pay me for the work for the quote work i was doing i was like this i'm doing nothing and i was getting paid this huge day rate (laughs) for like online, you know, this for like Facebook videos. And it was like this insane. And then I realized 
everybody's doing this. I mean, this is, I'm an old guy. I came in the, that stuff is, you know, if I was younger, maybe I would have started doing that originally and then made features. I started making features right away. And then that stuff happened and I didn't know anything about it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I could be making this kind of money doing this, this stuff. Well, it's because more people watch that Facebook video than better call Saul. Exactly. So, so anyway, so, so I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's almost easier for a younger person to, to kind of make their mark in those kind of commercial products and stuff. And Henry made a feature. I mean, he made a short film that played in a lot of festivals and won awards. And then he made this film that got into Sundance and that's what he does. And so he doesn't, he, he's never, uh, I mean, he could be, and he should be maybe, but he's never kind of gotten that world of like commercials. And I mean, he's done a lot of acting actually in commercials because he, he's a good actor and he has a, an agent and he books stuff, you know, just for the money. It's not like, I mean, well, he's a good actor. He's, he's booked theatrical stuff as well. Um, but, but that's a lot of where he gets his, you know, gets paid for stuff. Um, but he should be making TV. You know, he should be directing mm-hmm. the kind of shows I see on HBO that I recognize the director's names and like, well, why? You know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird business. Yeah. Matt, you got anything else? I mean, I, I we, mean, obviously we could talk I have to you like forever. Six <laughs> other episodes with the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess, uh, how can we find out more about DriverX and yeah. and your, your no-budget film school? Also? Yeah, thanks. Sorry. So, yeah, DriverX, um, you can, uh, we're, I'm just re, redoing the website, but it's it's driverxmovie.com and everything, all the places we're screening, all the you know, trailer, everything we're doing is on driverxmovie.com or will be. Um, our social media handles are at driverxmovie for Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, I, I am at, uh, there's no budget film which is the worst, the worst. If you want to know what websites look like in the nineties, <laughs> cause they don't exist anymore. Go, go, go to no budget film which I built in 2005 and it's the same website, but it looked old in 2005. So, <laughs> but I'm working on that when I have time, I'm going to re completely redo the website and, and really get more serious. I haven't taught a class in a while because I've been so busy with in the last two years, but I am going to be really getting back into, I'm going to do, I'm putting together a whole day class on driver X where I cover all the, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, but in depth with slides and exact numbers. And, you know, if you want to know what we spend on why on something, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be publishing all that stuff on, you know, on this class that I do. So I'm going to really get serious about that. Um, come, you know, next year. Um, and I'll probably, I'm going to probably be doing some lecturing at film schools while I'm going around the country with the film, um, as well. Um, and then I have a website. It's my name, which, you know, maybe in the, in the show notes or something, markstoloroff.com, uh, another way to find me. So, yes, and at Stoloroff. We so. will have it, yeah, all of those links in the show notes for cool. sure. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we do our final sign off stuff, uh, should we jump into unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. Oren, you got anything? I have one thing. It's going to seem like a paid endorsement, but I swear <laughs> it is not. I just, um, I have this friend, Josh Genowitz. He has this company called filmfarm.com. And uh, he he does a ton of stuff. He's a director, filmmaker, writer. He's very talented. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm bringing him up is he owns an Alexa Mini. He has like two Ingenue Optimo zoom lenses. He has like Jokers, like two Jokers, the 800 watt like HMI lights. He has like a bunch of other lights and equipment and everything. And it is just... Sitting, around. sitting at his we house. use those yeah. jokers. The jokers are just like, yeah, they're amazing. The they're so stuff. expensive to buy, yeah. but um, they're very versatile. Yeah, yeah, if you want a natural looking, it's lighting. the light to have. Yeah. yeah. So his gear is on. Uh, it's on ShareGrid, Share-Grid or Kit yeah. Split or whatever. One of those things. Probably but both. 
But like if you are wanting to make like a short film or a commercial spec commercial or something, and you're like, oh, I could never afford like an Alexa with nice zooms and like a few nice lights and stuff. Like you totally can. Like if you, um, you know, I, like I think on kit split or whatever, the whole camera package is like a thousand dollars. I'm sure he would give you a better deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are interested in it at all or want to drop my name or our name or just shoot it pod or you feel free to email us uh at just shoot it pod i we don't get paid at all this i know this seems like an have endorsement. you talked to him about this Are yeah you like, no oh, i was man. just in his garage the other day and i was like dude there, you have like amazing equipment he's like yeah i wish it was working i wish it was doing something it's like i just put on kit split whatever and i was like well like i'm sure i our listeners i mean you could probably get an amazing deal at like any camera house as well you know but i think sometimes when the you're mini is expensive that's yeah. a really expensive camera to rent. So. But when you're first here in LA, you're like, oh, I could never afford this, like, the same camera that they shoot, like, every TV show with. But you you totally can't. Like, for a few hundred dollars, you can if get If you're making this a short a film and you're yeah. just going to shoot over a weekend, you know, those the weekend rate on, like, share grid for that stuff isn't, you know, crazy. Yeah. So. But and, I think, and what you can get an A7S II for on share grid is ridiculous. Like, it's like, oh. What's interesting about him is all the, de- you know, he's been in Hollywood the same amount of time that we've been, you know, like at least like 10, 15 years or whatever. And so all the DPs he like came up with when he was like really into buying equipment, they would all use his equipment. But now all his friends that are DPs just go to Panavision, you know, right. every single shoot because they want doesn't matter what the budget is they want to like kind of improve their relationship with these big camera yeah, houses yeah, yeah. so he has all this gear that's amazing but he doesn't have like those young kind of hungry dp friends right. that are like using it so right. anyway oh, I, but him or the whole kit split share grid thing is like this amazing thing i have yet to really dive into but is an exciting way to to see equipment work get some gear yeah yeah <laughs> um you got anything matt um, yes, I do. I have a podcast called The Turnaround, which is uh, especially interesting uh, to Oren and I, but I think other listeners will like it as well. It's uh, by Jesse Thorne, who does um, Bullseye, uh, which is an NPR show, but it's him interviewing uh, famous interviewers. So I came across mm-hmm. it actually um, because I've been on an Errol Morris kick for the last three years. Uh, and like, just was like, oh, I bet he's been interviewed on some podcasts. I have some time to kill and found that. And like the, he's, he did Dick Cavett. He did all these awesome mm. uh, famous interviewers. So it's like a really, um, great conversation. He himself is a great interviewer having done it for a long time, but like to understand what it is that people are looking for when they're talking to interesting people is fascinating. So, did you glean any tips? I've heard Errol Morris talk about like interviewing there was a couple there's a couple lessons I've, I, I've they're stuck in my head I'm they're like Errol Morris like one of them you know, I'm, these are famous ones yeah. like where you know you don't you you don't talk and you let when they're done talking you just sit there and wait and then they they get uncomfortable and they start he, talking and then the next thing they say is always the interesting is a good thing. one yeah. yeah he calls that the shut the fuck up rule <laughs> yeah, yeah. don't don't interrupt the people and yeah, yeah. all that stuff yeah yeah we should learn that Orin. well you don't need it with me because I just talk you don't I don't need you to <laughs> just talk. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, we're gonna go now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm a. I'm a talker. That's my thing. Um, well, if I can, you know, I told you I didn't really have one in mind, but you mentioned some stuff, and you mentioned some things. So, I worked on a uh, podcast mm. for Shutter as a as a. If you can believe it, I was a post production supervisor on a podcast, which I didn't even know you could do. But I, uh, a friend of mine, produced it, and he had to go to town, and he's like 
come in and do this. And, and um, it's called Video Palace. It's a fiction, you know, a mm-hmm. creepy kind of fiction podcast. First time Shutter's ever done that. And it's it's really great. People, it's getting really good reviews out there. We're, we're, the, 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 if you're on Shutter, you can watch, you can listen to the whole thing at once. But there, I think we're on episode six or seven out of ten now on iTunes. So if you're on iTunes, you know, look for it, uh, Video Palace, if you like that kind of thing. It's um, it's really fun. Um, and um, and then I would just say, you know, I, I threw out some of these names already, but, you know, when I think about DriverX, is like there were just things that worked for me, like Light, Lightspeed, um, that program worked for me. Uh, the Sony a7S really worked for me. Hot Rod Camera, can't say enough great things about Hot Rod Camera in terms of just support. And, and um, I mean, you know, you... I didn't spend any more money to buy that stuff from them. If, if I'd bought it at B and H and I got all this great like advice and mm-hmm. when we needed something, if something broke or whatever we could get, you know, help, they could help us. And so they were great. And Final Cut Pro X, I, I'm using it now. <laughs> I've learned how to use it and it's that easy to learn. And I like Final Cut Pro. I can't even, I watch my post house. Oh, my post house. Uh, I'll give you two post houses that, cause I've been using them a lot lately on these other shows I've been doing. And they're just so great. Uh, Different by design, been using them forever. Love them. Matt, terrific. Matt Radecki, he's, he comes in often and speaks in my class. Oh, yeah, I know, Matt. Um, he, I mean, if you Did know. he made Marwin, make Marwin Call? He was a producer on Marwin Call, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, they're, yeah, they're looking forward to that feature coming out. Um, and, um, but they're just, they're just great. Um, and uh, they do, they're busy over there. Oof, they're, getting, they, they're always busy, but. Um, but they're great. And, um, the Luke who, who colored my movie colored tangerine and, you know, we worked out a way for them to make that less expensive and, 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 um, you know, where it's mostly unsupervised and that kind of thing. Um, and then I worked with a post house, a, a sound house called Anarchy done two shows with them now. And they're Dan over there. Love them. Um, they're great. Uh, so yeah, that might be my, my one. Cool. Perfect. Well, if you want to tell us what you think about our endorsements, about our interview with Mark, uh, if you have any comments or questions for us, please email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all social media at justshootitpod. I'm on Twitter as at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Jay McCullough. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you are listening to right now is by the artist Jazar and was provided by the Free Music Archive. Leave us an iTunes review if you can, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.